This is week number three in our series that we're calling Things Jesus Never Said. You know, sometimes you can look at things Jesus didn't say to help you to understand some of the things that he did say. Uh, I, I think today is going to be one of those situations for sure. As we're really looking at red letter stuff that Jesus said uh, Everything Jesus said in most Bibles is red letter anyway in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. But before we jump in, I just want to give a big Father's Day shout out to all the dads at our Poughkeepsie campus at Regal Cinemas. We love you guys. And uh, also everyone joining us online, dads as well. Happy Father's Day. I, I just want to say, you know, as a dad, I know firsthand how difficult that job is, how, how much pressure, how much stress and while at the same time getting next to zero support from our culture, in fact, being the, the punching bag, the brunt of all the jokes, uh, being a father in America, that's about the only group that you can make fun of, and, and no one's even going to say, hey, that's wrong, you shouldn't do that. Uh, it's completely acceptable. In fact, it's, it's kind of like the in thing to do. And so, dads, we just honor you. Uh, we just want to bless you today. Hope it's going to be a great day for you. And I want to remind you that of all the things that Jesus taught us about God, Jesus taught us he's a father. God shows that title, Father. And nobody can change that because there's something about a father. Yes, we're, we're failed, we're faulty, and we're frail. But there's nothing like a father. And God is a perfect heavenly father. And so we honor fatherhood here at Valley Christian Church today uh, on Father's Day. And dads, I just want to let you know I'm so proud of you. I'm so proud of all over 50 men that, that have been joining since we started our, our men's meetings on, on Saturday mornings, our 33 small groups, over 50, I think it's close to 60 men that have been coming out just because they want to become better men, the men God's created us to be, the fathers, the husbands that God's created us to be, just growing and getting better. And so uh, happy Father's Day. Uh, God knows and he loves you. And uh, we so appreciate all that you do, dads, uh, that oftentimes goes unnoticed in the lives of, of our families. You, you know, uh, next week, I do want to mention, we're going to be live preaching all of our services. Uh, Regal Cinemas, Pastor Stephen's going to be preaching live. And then here in Hopewell, really, really excited. Uh, a friend of mine, almost 30 years now, is going to be joining us. He's never been here before. And uh, he said he was going to be up in the area. And I said, please come. Uh, and his name is Dan Juster. In fact, if I said it right, it'd be Rabbi Dan Juster. He's a Messianic uh, Christian. And uh, at one time, Dan, for about 10 years, was uh, responsible for every Messianic congregation in the world. Uh, Dan is a brilliant, brilliant man. He and his wife, Patty, are going to be joining us here in Hopewell live, preaching live at 9 and 11 o'clock. Pastor Stephen is going to be preaching live at our Poughkeepsie campus. And so next weekend, uh, next Sunday is all live, both locations. And I hope you'll just pray about where to be uh, and then make sure to make that a priority. You won't regret that. Uh, it's going to be a great Sunday. And I'm just going to be sitting in the front row listening to my friend Dan. Absolutely brilliant. I think he's the smartest man I, I know personally. And uh, he's going to be sharing that perspective of Messianic 
Christianity around the world. It's going to be really priceless. But you know, sometimes as we're talking about this series, things Jesus never said, uh, sometimes when you think about things he didn't say, it helps you to understand things that he did. Like, for instance, here's a couple of things Jesus did not say as we're kind of ramping up to the message today. Jesus did not say, go into all the world and preach whatever makes people happy. He didn't say that. He didn't say that. Jesus did not say, whoever wants to be my disciple must affirm themselves, avoid the cross, and follow their own heart. Jesus never said that. Jesus never said, ask and it will be given to you because God is your celestial sugar daddy, Santa in the sky. He never said that. He didn't say that at all. A lot of people believe those things, but Jesus never said that. In fact, that's what we're going to look at today. Jesus never said, go do what makes you happy. Nowhere does Jesus encourage us to just do what makes us happy, do what feels good. In fact, the total opposite of that is what Jesus said. And so I want to look at a passage, a, a story, kind of an interesting story especially for Father's Day. We're going to be talking about adultery. Woohoo! Yeah! Father's Day. Feeling good. Let's talk about adultery. Here we go. John chapter 8. Look at this. It's very interesting what Jesus says when he doesn't say, go, make, go do what makes you happy. John chapter 8, beginning in verse 2. At dawn he appeared again in the temple courts where all the people gathered around him and, they, and he sat down to teach them. And the teachers of the law and the Pharisees brought in a woman caught in adultery. Now let's stop right there for a minute. Caught in adultery. This is kind of interesting just to think about this situation. She was caught in adultery. So here's the question. Where's the dude? Where's the guy? No one can commit. It's impossible to commit adultery on your own by yourself. She was caught in adultery. Chances are, you know, the, it says the teachers of the law and the Pharisees brought in a woman caught in adultery. How did they catch her, you, you know? And she probably, in all likelihood, was half naked. You know, how did they catch her? And exactly what were they doing anyway before they caught her? Just the thought. How did they catch her and, and they bring her to Jesus? She's probably half naked, caught in her sin. And again, they don't bring the guy, which is kind of interesting. We'll find out why. that Their motivation wasn't really what it seemed like on the surface at all. It says they made her stand before the group, total humiliation, and said to Jesus, Teacher, this woman was caught in the act of adultery, the very act of adultery. She wasn't caught leaving the guy's house. She was caught in the very act of adultery. A lot of questions here. In the law, Moses commanded us to stone such a woman. Now what do you say? Watch this. They were using this question as a trap in order to have a basis for accusing him. They weren't just curious. They were trying to trap Jesus. Their motivation was to trap him, to discredit him. And they're plotting against him is literally what's going on. And so this is really complicated. According to the law of Moses, she's guilty, she's caught in adultery. And so uh, what, what would happen is being guilty of that, that it, uh, the penalty for being caught in adultery, for committing adultery, was getting stoned. And that's not for medicinal or recreational purposes. Just want to make that clear for those in our church that may be doing that. 
We're going to move on anyway. Uh, She was going to be stoned with rocks. Rocks thrown at her until she was dead. Until she was dead. Jesus agreed that, that this is wrong. He doesn't let her off the hook. He doesn't condone adultery at all. Adultery's not right today in the 21st century either. But it's very interesting how Jesus responds to this trap the religious leaders and Pharisees are trying to trick him into walking into. Look at the next verse, or rather the second part of verse 6. It says, But Jesus bent down and started to write on the ground with his finger. Now there's been a lot of a lot of debate about what Jesus was writing in the dirt with his finger. A lot of scholars have, have actually said that uh, they think he was probably writing the sins of his accusers. In fact, later manuscripts added that in, but it's not in the original manuscripts. That he was writing with his finger the sins of her accusers. But, but I, I really think that's exactly what he was doing. In response to this, Jesus just starts writing their sins in the dirt, those that are accusing her. Here's the reason why I think that. It, it, it's pretty interesting when it says uh, the, the wording there uh, where it means wrote, where it says started to write on the ground with his finger, to write. The, the word which means to write down in Greek is the Greek word raphian. I'm sorry, graphian, graphian, G-R-P-H-E-I-N, graphian. That's not the word here where it says write down, write on with his finger. The word used here is katagraphian, and that means to write a record against someone. And so it literally says, but Jesus bent down and started to write a record against someone, against the people in the group, the men in the group. Katagraphian. He begins to write with his finger in the ground and the dirt. Then it goes on, verse 7, it says, When they kept on questioning him, he straightened up and said to them, Let any one of you who is without sin be the first to throw the stone at her. This is pretty interesting in original language of the New Testament. Let any of one who is without sin be the first one to throw the uh, be the first to throw a stone at her without sin. This in Greek, this this statement, this word rather means without even ever wanting to sin. <laughs> I, I'll just be honest with you. There's a lot of times I've thought about sin. I just haven't done it. I've wanted. Well, <laughs> no, I won't. Jesus is saying anyone who's ever like, well, no, I won't. You go ahead and throw the first stone. He says, he is without sin, but, but if, I'm talking about he who's never even wished to sin, never even thought about sinning. He is without sin, hadn't even ever felt the motivation to sin, but not sinned, but stopped short. Let that guy throw the first stone. You know, Really, really easy, isn't it, to justify sin in our lives? But Jesus just kind of cuts through it all and goes, you know, even if you wish to sin, that motivation in your heart. Real easy to see sin in other people, but to overlook sin in our own lives. Then it goes on in verse 8. 
And it says, again, he stooped down and he wrote in the ground. And at this, this is very, very interesting to me. Those who heard began to go away one at a time. This is so interesting. The oldest ones first until only Jesus was left. The oldest one. You know, you, you, live, you live a little time on this planet. has a way of just kind of humbling you, if you're real honest, if, you're, if your heart's honest. You, you, live, you live some years on this planet like, nah, I need to go. I'm, I'm not worthy to throw the first stone. It's kind of interesting to me, the oldest one's left first. Kind of a little more in tune with the reality, <laughs> a little more authentic, a little more genuine after living a few more years one translation said, and they left one at a time, oldest to youngest. The youngest one's like, what? What? I'm not so bad. I haven't done really awful stuff yet. But they ended up leaving too. Oh, the oldest ones until only Jesus was left with the woman standing there. And remember, chances are she's half naked. She's caught in the act of adultery. Total shame, total humiliation, public humiliation and shaming. Jesus straightened up. He's still down there. He's writing the sins of those fellows. Jesus straightened up and asked her, Woman, where are they? Has no one condemned you? And then don't miss this. This is so very important. In our culture, crazy, upside-down, irrational culture that we live in today, don't miss what Jesus says. She says, no one, sir. She said, then neither do I condemn you. Don't miss this. Had the tech guys highlight it. Go now and do what makes you happy. <clears throat> no, that's not what he says. Go ahead back. If it feels good, just keep on doing it. Just run back to your lover. No. What does he say? Jesus says, I don't condemn you. I'm not judging you. I don't condemn you. However, stop it. Stop it. Go now and leave your life of sin. Jesus never said, go do what makes you happy. Jesus said, leave your life of sin. He says that to this woman caught in adultery. And he says it to me, and he says it to you as well. He did not say, go do whatever makes you happy, go follow your heart. He did not say, it doesn't matter what you do, you do boo, <laughs> whatever you do, boo. He didn't say, you do you, I'll do me. He didn't say, go now, it's okay, just walk right back into it. There's a sense of urgency. He says, leave your life of sin. Be different. Be free. Live at a higher level, the level God created you to live. That, in essence, is what he's saying. Why, why do we give in to temptation to sin? Why is that? You ever wonder? I'll tell you why. It's not, it's not really, you don't have to go to seminary to know this. Because sin is fun. Sin feels good. 
good. Sin makes you happy. It's fun. And let me just say this. If you've ever sinned and it's not fun, you're not sinning right. Sin makes you, sin makes you happy. Sin is fun. But here's the whole thing we need to understand. And if you have your, your notes in your Valley app, I hope you're following along with this. Because this is a blank. It's so important. You need to fill in on that outline. Sin promises satisfaction at the cost of disobedience to God and eventual pain to you. Sin promises satisfaction at the cost of disobedience to God and eventual pain to you. But you know what? It never, it, it always feels good on the front end, but it never satisfies. I mean, I, when I was working on this outline, I kept thinking of that Rolling Stones song. I can't get no satisfaction. You know, and then you would think if, if sin could satisfy, the Rolling Stones would have had plenty of it. Plenty of satisfaction, but no, they had a hit like, I can't get no satisfaction, though I try, and I try, and I try, and I try, I can't get no. Mick Jagger can't get no satisfaction from sin, you're not going to get any either. I'm not going to get any either, because sin promises satisfaction at the cost of disobedience to God, and eventually, it always causes pain. I, I, I was just thinking about this woman caught in adultery, man. And, and, and honest to goodness, my heart went out to her. When I think about her, I'm, I'm, I feel compassion on her. Public humiliation and shame. And, and I thought about what got her to that point where, I mean, think about it, the lowest point in her life. She's out in the middle of the town or the village there, half naked, surrounded by men, snatched out of bed with her lover. Just think about it. I just found myself wondering, like, maybe her husband was inattentive. Maybe her husband took her for granted. Maybe, maybe he was verbally abusive. Doesn't justify what she did, but I just wonder what the backstory was. You know, I think about it kind of in a 21st century uh, way. You know, maybe, uh, maybe her adulterous lover was a co-worker at the office, from the office. He's a real nice guy, you know. He paid attention to her, complimented her, liked her ideas. She just thought it was innocent. Nothing was wrong. He's funny. He's thoughtful, a lot more thoughtful than her husband that she went home to every night. Found herself just kind of thinking about him some, looking forward to seeing him each day of the work week. Then kind of saw that he was staying late one night, and so she decided, you know what, I'll, I'll stay late too. Maybe I can help him. And in that time, he opens up about his marital struggles to her and tells her, you know, I, I think I made a mistake. I wish, I wish maybe I'd married somebody like you. Next day in the office, he kind of accidentally brushes up against her arm. Ooh, maybe that wasn't an accident that he brushed up against my arm. Gets goosebumps. Realize, doesn't even realize that really her emotions are out of control. What she feels is wrong, but at the same time it feels so right and it feels so good. Maybe he's what's missing. Maybe he would make me happy. Then she tells her best friend about it, and her best friend goes, 
oh, darling, just follow your heart. If it makes you happy, it can't be bad. Step by step, till she finds herself in bed, and then in the middle of the town, the city, barely dressed, publicly humiliated and shamed. In our culture today, and I know that makes people feel uncomfortable and gets a little awkward and like, Father's Day, really? Listen, the best thing I can do for you on Father's Day, dads and families, is that you'd walk out of here free. Free. So we've got to talk about and We've got to look at some of these things, awkward as sometimes that it might be. In our culture, approach to life is very relevant. Relev- it's hard for me to... Relevant. I can't even say the word. Relativism in our belief, that means there's no absolute truths. What's true to you isn't necessarily true to me. You do you, you do me. You live your truth, I'll live my truth. But there's a couple problems with that. First of all, without a belief in absolute truth, truth is defined by whatever makes you happy. Whatever makes you happy, then that's what truth is. And the second problem with that is this. When the bottom line is my happiness, happiness becomes the standard by which I judge my actions. If it makes you happy, it can't be bad, so your actions are okay, whatever you do. And this woman didn't, I don't think, start out saying, I'm going to wreck somebody's marriage. I'm going to break some kids' hearts. I'm going to ruin some kids psychologically and emotionally, the children of my coworker, for the rest of their life. But that's probably what happened. That's probably exactly what happened. But our culture says, no big deal. But Jesus says, Go and leave your life of sin. I don't condemn you. Go and leave your life of sin. See, sin, we, we know it's wrong, but it feels so good. And the problem is, so many of us think happiness and holiness are actually at odds with each other. That, that we, can't, we can't be happy and please God holy at the same time. But nothing could be further from the truth. We feel like we've got to choose one. If I'm, if I'm going to choose happiness, that means I just do whatever I want. There's no way I can choose God's way and actually be happy. If, if I choose holiness, then I'm destined to be miserable. But the reality is, true happiness, joy, fulfillment is found in choosing God's way. God is not some sort of cosmic killjoy. We don't have to make the choice between being holy or being miserable. Following God's way doesn't mean we're going to be miserable. We don't have to choose, am I going to follow God or am I going to be unhappy? God is a loving, heavenly Father. And here's the thing. He knows what's best for His kids. And He's not trying to keep something from us besides pain and hurt and heartache. That's what he's trying to keep from us. That's what he's trying to keep from you. That's what he's trying to keep from me. That's what sin always causes. 
Father's Day, right? Check out Matthew chapter 7. Jesus is talking about fathers, and it's kind of interesting what he says here. Matthew chapter 7, verse 11, he says, If you then, talking to dads, if you then, though you're evil, now listen, don't, don't anyone say on Father's Day, Dad, you're evil. Jesus said it. That's, not what, that's really not what he's saying here. Well, what Jesus is saying here is God is so good, God is so perfect, that your heavenly fathers, your earthly fathers, rather, that, that were really, you know, Pretty decent. Not everyone had a decent father. I had a really good dad. My dad's still a really great dad growing up. Fantastic father, you know, as I was growing up. And he's saying, you know, but compared to God, who's perfect, it looks like you're evil and wicked. That, that's how perfect, that's how different your heavenly father is in terms of perfect and love and unconditional and provision and all those things. It makes it look like your earthly dad, even if he was phenomenal, looks evil compared to how good God is. And he says, if you then, though you're evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father in heaven give good gifts to those who ask him? And specifically, what he's talking about, or who he's talking about, the gift he's talking about, is the gift of the Holy Spirit. When you and I ask to receive the Holy Spirit, God gives us the Holy Spirit. You can read the rest of it. That's totally what he's talking about. We have to ask. He doesn't give he doesn't fill us with the Holy Spirit unless we ask. He says, how much more will your heavenly Father in heaven give good gifts to those who what? Ask him. A lot of Christians think you get it all at the moment of salvation. There's only one problem with that. The Bible, Jesus said you got to ask him. You got to ask for it. And God, our heavenly Father, will give good gift to you, the gift of his Holy Spirit that allows us to live the life that we were created to live. The Holy Spirit comes and lives within every single one of us at the moment of salvation. John chapter 20, after Jesus' resurrection, he walked through the wall and he breathed. The Bible says he breathed on the disciples and said, receive the Holy Spirit, and they did. Then, later on, in Acts chapter 1, he says, listen, I want you to go out into all the world, but before you do, there's something else left. John 20, they received the Holy Spirit. There's something else left. Acts chapter 2, when he poured out the Holy Spirit. They had to receive, be filled with the Holy Spirit. Acts chapter 2, and you see this over and over and over throughout the book of Acts, repeated again. And Jesus is saying here, your heavenly Father... He wants to give you good, not, not keep, keep all the good from you. He wants to give you good. But, but listen, sin is not good. Sin always hurts. Sin causes pain. And that's why Jesus said to this woman, not go do what makes you happy. Sin temporarily feels really fun and makes you happy, but it harms deeply over the long haul says you're looking in the wrong place i think in essence many of us need to lower our expectations of earth but not heaven heaven's going to be better than the best day the best moment of the best day of the best experience you've ever had in your life for eternity nonstop. that's heaven that's not on earth that's heaven i heard max licato <laughs> 
give this illustration. I want to give him credit for it because uh, if, if, you know, if you don't like it, you can't get angry with me. You get angry with Max, okay? But, but he makes this, this, this illustration of what it means like to live in sin. He, he says, would a fish be happy on the beach? Out of water on the beach? I, I mean, think about it. If, if a fish was on the beach flopping around, you know, I'm not going to do that and do the fish, but flopping around, and, and you gave him a wad of cash. You gave him like big bills, like, here's the Benjamins, it's raining up in here. Would that make that fish happy flopping around on the beach? What if you threw him a party? I mean, a wild party. Would that make a fish happy flopping around on the beach? What about if you poured him a nice cold tall margarita whoo maybe that would just bring that fish happiness on the beach what what, what about it what what if you you took a selfie with the fish and posted it and got like a thousand likes all these followers what if that fish got a blue check next to their name on instagram would that make that fish happy of course not because a fish wasn't created to be on the beach fish was created to be in the water. New car wouldn't make him happy. A boat, a boyfriend, a vacation, likes on social media, any amount of money. Hair wouldn't make a fish happy. A great body wouldn't make a fish happy. New pair of shoes, better self-esteem. None of those would give that fish the joy that, they, that he craves in his heart. Because a fish wasn't created to be on the beach. A fish was created to be in the water. And you weren't created for earth. You were created for eternity in heaven with Jesus. He's the only one following God's way. See, holiness isn't mutually exclusive from happiness. And holiness really is a pathway to true happiness and joy. Holiness means set apart. It doesn't mean perfect. It means set apart. And set apart to do what? To live life the way God created me to live. That's holiness. That's what it means. Follow, I'm a follower of Jesus Christ. I'm going to follow Jesus that's what holiness means. I, I love how the psalmist wrote, Psalm 16, verse 11, says, You will make known to me the path of life. In your presence is fullness of joy. That's where I find joy, Lord. It's in your presence. In your right hand there are pleasures forever. That doesn't sound like bad deal, does it? David, who, who God said was a man after his own heart, he said, God, I get it. Joy, fulfillment, pleasure, all those things are found in your presence. I don't want to be a fish out of water because I wasn't created for the beach. I was created for the ocean. I love this. I love this. The King David wrote. 
Nowhere does Jesus ever say, go do happy. Go, 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 go do whatever makes you happy. He says, no, go do better. Leave your life of sin. Don't, don't, don't surrender momentary happiness for lasting pain and sorrow. Some of you right now, I, I, I believe just right now in this moment, you feel that ache inside. It's kind of gnawing because you've been trying to fill your life with all these different things, but the reality is you're a fish out of water. It's time to return to the water. It's time to get back in the water. What do you do when you can't find a way out? You've tried to fill that emptiness inside with food, with overspending, with smoking, drinking, prescription drugs. You're stuck in a lust-filled world of point-and-click porn. Say, I'll never do it again, I'll never do it again, and then a little time goes by and you do it again. Or maybe it's one broken relationship after another and you keep finding, why do I always get in these abusive relationships? Why am I drawn into these things? Sin promises satisfaction the cost of disobedience to God and eventual pain. Maybe a Relatively speaking, today you find yourself half naked, trapped in your sin. Just like, just like this woman was in this story. I came to tell you today about the faithfulness of God. Because the same Jesus that spoke words of life to her wants to speak words of life to you as well. 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 13, the Bible says, and God is faithful. He's faithful. He will not let you be tempted beyond what you can bear. Watch this now. But when you're tempted, he will also provide a way out, a way of escape so that you can endure it. He'll provide a way when you're trapped that you can get out of it. You know, it kind of reminds me of uh, video games when I was growing up. Now, they all, all kinds of different video games today, but, but back, you know, how many of you, you know, kid of the 80s, you know what I'm talking about. Those were the classic video games like Centipede. You know what I'm talking about? Centipede, Pac-Man, Miss Pac-Man. Come on, guys. Or how about one of my favorites, Asteroids. Asteroids, you could literally draw yourself. Even if you weren't an artist, you could draw. It had like this triangle. That was your ship, right? And you'd be hitting that. You'd be hitting that fire button. And you're blowing up these asteroids that literally you could just draw like that. I just did one. I just drew an asteroid. There it is, just like that. And going. You're shooting, shooting, shooting. And then all of a sudden you get trapped. And what do you do? Then you hit that button. What is that button? 
hyperspace. And all of a sudden, your ship disappears. It's a way of escape. You hit that hyperspace button, and it reappears somewhere else. That was a game, man. Asteroids, fantastic. Listen, when it comes to the Christian life, there is no hyperspace button, but there is a hyper grace button. And that hyper grace is the power of the Holy Spirit in your life. God's empowering, the same spirit that raised Jesus Christ from the dead on that first resurrection Sunday lives inside of you, lives inside of me. And he wants us to push the button, hyper grace, to pour out his empowering presence that we can follow the way out that he provides for us every single time you and I are tempted with sin. This woman that was caught with adultery, caught in adultery, God had provided a way of escape. To the drug addict, God provides a way of escape every single time. No matter what it is that we're going to instead of going to God, God provides a way of escape. Just push the button. Just call on him. God is faithful. He will provide a way of escape for you and for me every single time we're tempted. So here, here's, kind of the, here's kind of the conclusion. The big idea, the big statement for this message that I hope you leave with, that you remember. Every temptation is an invitation to depend on Christ. Every time you and I are tempted to sin, it's an invitation to depend on Jesus more, to lean into him, to lean into the power of the Holy Spirit every single time. Every temptation is an invitation to depend more on Jesus. This is a sense of urgency that, that Jesus, as he was speaking to this woman, go now and leave your life of sin. Do you hear those words? He wasn't condemned. She left full of hope. She left feeling loved. She left encouraged, not judged and condemned. Women, where are your accusers? Then neither do I accuse you. He doesn't say go do what makes you feel happy. Go follow your heart. He says, leave your life of sin. Leave your life of sin. It, it, she doesn't leave afraid of doing what's bad. I believe she left longing to do what was good. Big difference. Every temptation is an invitation to depend on Christ. You know, there's a big difference between remorse and repentance. Remorse is, I'm sorry I got caught. I got snagged, and man, I feel bad that somebody snagged me in my sin. She didn't leave with a heart of remorse. She left with a heart of repentance. Repentance means to, to, to repent. Pent means top, to go back to the top. Like a penthouse and a skyscraper, it's the top. It's the, it's the absolute. To go back to the best. Repent, to go back to God. Return to the highest. Uh, let me put it this way. You know, those two letters, re, and the English language make a huge difference. 
A huge, huge difference. It makes all the difference in the world. Let me give you an example of what I'm talking about. If you rebuke the enemy and return to God by repenting of your sins and receiving Christ, your spirit will be reborn, your mind will be renewed, your life will be rebuilt. You will be reconciled by Christ's redeeming work and reap the rewards of a relationship causing revival and breaking free. Two little letters, re, going back, repent, going back to the top, going back to the highest, going back to the best. Repentance means going back to God, the fish getting off the beach and back into the water. That's what the fish was created for. And so, right now, I want to pray. I, I, I want to pray because I think for many of us, it's time for us to go back to the top. Go back to God's best. Because Jesus never said, go do what makes you happy. He said, turn away from your life of sin. Go back to God. Live life the way God created you to live it. Live the best life, and that is following God's way. Would you bow your heads with me? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, Lord, we thank you for this story that just, as we look at this story that shows so much your heart for us, even on Father's Day, you are a good, good Father. You're a perfect Heavenly Father. Jesus doesn't condemn this woman caught in the very act of adultery. He says, neither do I condemn you. Go and leave your life of sin. Lord, help us today by your Holy Spirit to recognize that what makes us happy isn't necessarily your way for us. That sin is joyful. Sin brings fun and happiness in a moment, but pain and heartache in the long haul. True joy is found in your presence. In your presence, Lord. Show us the path of life. In your presence is fullness of joy at your right hand is pleasure evermore. And Father, I pray right now that we would have the courage to repent to return to the highest, to return to the best, to return to you instead of looking in all the wrong places for happiness and joy. Lord, we would live the life you've created us to live. I'm going to ask right now, with our heads bowed and our eyes closed, if you're here today and you say, you know what, it's time for me to jump back in the water. I've been a fish on the beach. God, I'm returning. I'm repenting. I ask for the power of your Holy Spirit to live the life you created me to live, life in the water. Just raise your hand right now. This is not for me. This is for God. Raise your hand right now. I want to pray for you. Father, even for those that Regal Cinemas right now, Lord, even those at home raising their hand on their couch in the recliner, Lord, see the hand that that represents the heart's that are saying, God, I need you. I need to lean into you. This opportunity that I'm facing, this temptation, Lord, it's an invitation to depend on you. I need to depend on you. I want to depend on you more, Lord. 
God, by your Holy Spirit, just pour out that grace as we hit that button of not hyperspace, but hyper grace. We need your empowering presence. Lord, to live the life you created us to live. Thank you, Father, that you don't condemn us, but you inspire us and you challenge us to go leave the life of sin that we're living and to follow you and to walk the way you've created us to, live the life you've created us to. In Jesus' name, amen.